We are still only a little bit better than halfway through this football season, but the Big Ten football schedule for next year is out, and we've got teams getting the best and some getting the worst of the Big Ten. You are locked on Big Ten. Your daily podcast on the Big Ten Conference. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Welcome into Locked On Big Ten. Everything you need to know about the Big Ten Conference every day of the week. I'm your host, Nate Dickinson. Coming up on today's show, we're going to get into the football schedules for 2023 here in just a minute. And then also John Garcia Jr. of Sports Illustrated is in to talk football recruiting with us after it was a little bit more of a busy weekend for commitments in the Big Ten. We're going to get to all that with John in just a minute. Football schedule is coming up first, but first... I'd like to thank LinkedIn Jobs for being the official college football recruiting sponsor across the Locked On College Network. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on college. Terms and conditions apply. All right, let's dive into the latest in Big Ten scheduling for football next season. The Big Ten officially tweeted out its schedule for the first and through all the way last week of 2023. And we've got teams who are at least getting a good end and bad end of the Big Ten next season. I want to break things down here, at least at first, by the cross-divisional matchups. Because everybody plays everybody else in their same division every single year. But it can be those cross-division games that end up deciding things in the Big Ten. So who has it the toughest? Who has it the easiest? I ranked it 1 through 14 just off first glance and looking at things. And it's, to be fair, when you get toward the bottom, and even in the middle of the pack, it's all pretty, pretty close. We're talking about three teams from the other division that you're going to be looking at every single season. So... These three teams are going to be, for the most part, really around the same skill level for everyone. They don't try to make it especially harder for anybody else. But there are some people who are going to get the short end of the stick here. The biggest of them being the Minnesota Gophers. Minnesota in its cross-division games next year, Michigan, Michigan State, and Ohio State. That Ohio State game comes in the second to the last week of the season for Minnesota. So it's going to be a big one. It's going to be a let's say, penciled-in loss in the sense that everyone who plays Ohio State can pretty much pencil in that loss. And it's going to be coming right before their big game against Wisconsin to end the season. So for Minnesota, it's going to be a big, big opportunity for them to get big wins. But the margin for error for Minnesota then next season becomes a whole lot smaller the rest of the way because if you are losing two of those games to Michigan and Michigan State, or to Michigan and Ohio State pretty easily... I'm not sure what it is exactly that you can do to make up for that in the Big Ten West. Aside from the fact that it's probably going to be just as ugly as it was this year next year. So if Minnesota's the best team, maybe they have a shot even picking up those two out-of-division Big Ten losses. I'll move on. we got a lot of names to get to. A second toughest I had, Purdue. And we're going to go division by division here. So these are all the teams in the West and the East teams they have to play. I'll get to the East teams in a second. Purdue has to play Ohio State and Michigan too. Their third team is Nebraska, which is why I put them a step lower than what Minnesota has to do. It starts up against Minnesota, and it'll be a 
big opportunity. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Wisconsin. That's a Nebraska we're talking about. Get to them in a minute. Wisconsin, Illinois, Iowa, and Ohio State. That's four straight weeks for Purdue. And not only is it four straight weeks, that's the four, first four Big Ten games that the Boilermakers play. Wisconsin, Illinois, Iowa, and Ohio State. The two big staples of the Big Ten West. A team in Illinois that is looking like it could be at least legitimately good in the future. And then, of course, Ohio State in there too. It's a tough way to start your Big Ten season. We'll see how Purdue handles it. Moving on to Nebraska. Their three teams are Michigan, Michigan State, and Maryland. Uh, Their season starts up against Minnesota. Not a cross-divisional game, but just my note that I had looking at the Nebraska schedule as a whole. You get a chance kind of right away to see if you're any good again week one right off the bat if you're a Cornhusker fan. So that's nice, maybe. If you're a Nebraska fan, they're just trying to find something to be happy about. Iowa gets Penn State, Michigan State, and Rutgers. Uh, I noted on that one, it'll be Penn State, Michigan State, Purdue, and Wisconsin for them to start Big Ten play. Not an easy schedule at all for Iowa. Illinois gets Penn State, Maryland, and Indiana on the other side of the Big Ten. That Penn State game is week three. It's the first Big Ten game that they'll get. It'll be a nice little test to start things off next season for Illinois. See if maybe it was all hype this year or if that can be sustained from season to season. Uh, Next team I had up was Wisconsin, Rutgers, Ohio State, and Indiana. That's, in my opinion, second easiest out of all the teams in the West. And they do have, though, a tough schedule right off the bat, starting with a non-conference game against Syracuse, followed by Wisconsin, Illinois, Iowa, and Ohio State. That's a tough stretch, and that's starting out with a non-conference game, but then the start of Big Ten play for them. Finally, my easiest cross-division schedule in the West was Northwestern. They get Rutgers, Penn State, and Maryland. Avoid Ohio State and Michigan. Get to play both Rutgers and Maryland. Maryland could be a pretty good team next year. Penn State could be a pretty good team next year. But as far as who you could have had in that East, that's where I put Northwestern. And in my opinion, again, the best out of the teams in the West. But There's quite a few teams in the East that have it pretty easy, too, when you look at what they're going to be going up against on the other side in a weak, weak West. I did think the toughest out of the teams in the East in the cross-division schedules is Ohio State. They get Purdue, Wisconsin, and Minnesota. Purdue has looked good enough. Minnesota's looked like it has talent. Wisconsin is Wisconsin. You start off with IU Week 1. You get Notre Dame Week 4, 2 if you're Ohio State, so there won't be a shortage of good games for the Buckeyes in 2023. Indiana gets Wisconsin, Purdue, and Illinois. Of course, Purdue every season you get them. Illinois looks like a good team now. Wisconsin is Wisconsin. All those three games are in three of the last four weeks of the season for Indiana. So that's going to be really interesting, playing all those division games early and then having it possibly be the end of the season, deciding where you end up in the Big Ten East if you're Indiana. Next team I had up was Rutgers. They have Northwestern, Wisconsin, and Iowa in the West It starts off with a good litmus test, again, kind of like Nebraska, a nice little litmus test to start things off against Northwestern. It's going to be a good game between those two teams, Rutgers-Northwestern, to see who's where in week one. I think it'll be kind of similar to the Nebraska-Northwestern game we had to start off the season this year. Michigan State gets Iowa, Minnesota, and Nebraska. Not a bad schedule overall for them. Iowa and Minnesota are pesky teams. 
but I, I like kind of just even where these games are placed, kind of a little bit middle, late part of the Big Ten schedule. You're already deep into the season by the time you get to those teams you're not quite as familiar as. I like that for Michigan State. Same thing with Michigan, who gets Nebraska, Purdue, and Minnesota. It's not even as much the teams for them. as I kind of just like the way that the schedule is laid out. All these games are in like week 7, 8, 10, that kind of stuff area. So you're going to be, again, used to what you're doing as a team, knowing what you're trying to do every week, and not having to do it against teams that you're not playing every year in the Big Ten. Last two schools, Penn State and Maryland. Penn State gets Iowa Northwestern and Illinois. The first three weeks of the Big Ten schedule, that is, for Penn State, all three of those games. And, of course, Penn State fans well aware they're starting out on the road for Big Ten play yet again every year since 2016 and 13 out of the last 14 years. That's happened now for the Nittany Lions. Last team on the list is Maryland. They get the easiest out of anyone, if you ask me. Northwestern, Nebraska, and Illinois are the three teams from the West they'll have to play. Illinois, again, could be good next season, but those three squads, I think, are pretty, pretty safe if, if Maryland can be as good as maybe they've even been showing they have been this year so far. I think at least two of those will be pretty easy wins. The test will be in week four for Maryland, at least their first test, when they face off against Michigan State. That'll be a nice little test to see where they're at and also where Michigan State's at too after what this season has been for them. We're going to have more, of course, on next season, all sorts of time to talk about next season throughout the offseason and we'll get into it more I'm sure as we learn more from teams over the next few days about what they think about these schedules we know Penn State's not happy Penn State's been ha not happy about a lot of stuff lately coming up next we're going to talk to John Garcia Jr. from Sports Illustrated he's in as a courtesy of LinkedIn to talk to us about the latest commits in the Big Ten had a couple from over the weekend and some other stuff to talk about here with John we'll get to it in just a minute on Locked On Big Ten. You're tuned into Locked On Big Ten alongside John Garcia Jr. over at Sports Illustrated helping us out. Thanks to LinkedIn. LinkedIn can help you get any of the jobs that you need filled. Filled. Go on over to LinkedIn Jobs with LinkedIn.com slash Locked On College to see what you can do over there. Thanks as always for joining us, John, to talk a little bit of recruiting. It's quiet time when the season gets going in football season where well, everyone's, of course, occupied on the field but recruiting still going on and when people start making those visits at those big games we do start to see some commitments as well a big commitment in the big 10 but not from one of those schools that's been having one of the best seasons nebraska getting a big player malachi coleman big and he's a four-star recruit but also big in the fact that this guy is 6'5 205 before we get into what he's good at i mean where's this guy going to play at nebraska <laughs> he's listed as just an athlete on the recruiting sites well, like you said, fascinating player, uh, fascinating skill set, and fascinating frame. Uh, 6'5", 200 pounds, and runs a 10-4 in the 100. I mean, this is a freak of nature. Uh, this is somebody who you could make the argument as, hey, let's make you uh, a big boundary Randy Moss wide receiver. Let's bulk you up and make you a hybrid tight end that nobody can cover. Or let's bulk you up and have you rushing the passer with some speed and ferocity that no 300 pounder is going to be able to deal with. Um, you could even make a safety argument uh, with Malachi Coleman. So he is quite fascinating from a skill position perspective. But then the whole Nebraska situation makes it even more of a wrinkle, right? Because 
yes, this current coaching staff, he's tight with Mickey Joseph. I would probably venture to say he would start off at wide receiver today. But of course, those are question marks. We don't know if Joseph's going to be retained or we don't know, or excuse me, we don't know who the head coach is going to be, um, the scheme, all of those things. So I do think there's there's an opportunity here for him to end up on defense or end up at, at another position altogether. So quite fascinating that, that he still went with Nebraska with all of that uncertainty around the program. But I, I do think that says a lot about Nebraska, right? Mickey Joseph has said it himself. Hey, we're selling Nebraska. We're not selling Mickey Joseph. We're not selling a scheme. We're not selling anything in particular. We're selling the school. Um, it, it helps when Malachi Coleman is from Lincoln. Uh, obviously that is the school he grew up following. Um, and that's why his recruitment became so interesting. He had a bunch of visits set they got canceled. I think Ole Miss and Miami had him said, and, and I asked him, hey, well, why did they cancel the visits? And he said, look, everyone thought I was going to Nebraska. So they they didn't think it was worth bringing me in for an official visit. And I said, well, are you a lock? And, and he's like, no. He's like, I really wanted to see these places. And then sure enough, he, he sticks with that early commitment date and picks Nebraska. So maybe Miami and Ole Miss were on to something here. But still, it doesn't lessen how big of a get this is for the Cornhuskers, especially with all those circumstances, um, wherever he plays, it, it's a really big deal when, when you keep not only the number one player in the state home, but one of these guys that was a true national recruit on top of that, it hits a little bit different. So we can be safe in saying that this is a pretty hard commit here for Nebraska, right? I mean, you mentioned there's going to be a whole lot of things that could be a lot different by the time he even gets to campus, but he's the hometown kid. He grew up following the Cornhuskers. It doesn't seem like at least Mickey Joseph's the only thing that's bringing him there. And it seems like he'll be at Nebraska no matter what happens there at the head coaching spot. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, look, Coleman's just, you know, he's one of six Nebraska natives already on board in this class, and they've only had one decommitment total following the the, the news of, of Scott Frost's uh, departure. So this is this is one of those schools that can do that. It, it, it's not common. It's relatively rare. But uh, when you have this kind of brand and culture and expectation as a university relative to your football program, you can get away with a little bit of that and still recruit at a high clip and, and not face the kind of the rash of decommitments that most schools deal with when they move on from one coach. Uh, so I think that's, that's kind of a tribute to the longstanding, you know, tradition there at Nebraska and this current coaching staff, you know, they, they know, Hey, most of us are probably gone. Maybe some of us stay, but let's, let's recruit our tails off in the process. Uh, and, and I think they've done a really good job communicating that, Hey, regardless of who who's at the very top of the, of this thing, it's still going to be Nebraska. The culture's the same. Um, the scheme might tweak, but everything is still the same otherwise. And, and they're obviously, you know, re, redoubling down on that message with these, these kids who have verbally committed and they're still adding recruits along the way. It's just not something, I don't think, let me think out loud here, Wisconsin, Colorado. I don't think any of those schools are picking up verbal commitments after their, you know, their moves have been made. So again, it's just one of those unique situations where not only are you retaining your commits, but you're still able to add on. Uh, it's really fascinating to see. There'll probably be some attrition before all is said and done when, when, when the new guy gets, gets the gig and all that stuff. But on the surface level, yeah, we, we don't see a whole lot on the horizon, at least as, as things currently stand. Say what you want about what's happened with that Nebraska program. Big Red runs deep yes. in that state. That's for sure. Let's move on for a second here. John Garcia Jr. with Sports Illustrated joining us to talk recruiting for a minute. Uh, another commitment that came over the weekend 
to Illinois, a three-star Sabur Kareem, 6'3", 180. This guy is someone who's going to be on the defensive backfield, safety, and Illinois getting themselves a commit here on what I would assume to be just something that they're riding the momentum on that hot streak of. Yeah, especially on defense, right? I mean, I think it's 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 been no surprise to see their defensive recruiting pick up a little bit. Um, you know, it's just kind of it's the brand that that's what that brand uh, has become. Obviously, there's a lot of buzz with uh, with Coach Walters there. Hey, is he going to grab another gig and all that stuff? But in the meantime, you would expect recruiting to stay, you know, really hot uh, on that side uh, of the football. And look, Illinois has been dipping into New Jersey here. Um, they, they signed the Leary kid last year. They they've been pretty consistent up in New Jersey, which was not something we would have expected, you know, two, three years ago, but, but here we are. Um, and, and this is a, a unique kid. Uh, Kareem is, is like you said, 6'3", 185 pounds. He plays receiver. He plays DB. He plays lacrosse. He plays basketball. This is an athlete, kind of like we talked about with Coleman, maybe not as fast, but long, lean, and what is he going to be? Is he going to be a safety? He plays some cornerback on Friday nights. I mean, he'd be one of the bigger corners in the country. Does he bulk up and, and play hybrid outside linebacker there's a lot to like there but physical ball skills uh instinctive type prospect who lines up everywhere and does a little bit of everything again the, the type of evaluation that you need to make the kind of climb that that illinois has as a program you have to go find those niche recruits who don't scream one position and you have to develop and bulk up and, and tweak a little bit these are the type of of kids who develop into all conference players and sometimes you know first round picks on top of that because they're more outside the box it's not as easy to see from a height weight position and even geographical standpoint so this is a fascinating get for illinois um that one that you know they they weren't in the lead for for a long time so i think you can really like you said nate you can really link the current reputation and the season to a lot of this success, uh, although they did get them on campus in the summer months. So they were on it before that this, this bump of, of perception happened, uh, but they had to stay with it thereafter. So it, it's really unique to see them close for prospects outside of, of that Midwestern footprint as well. When does a team that makes this kind of a step start to see, or I guess see the most of the impact of that in recruiting? Is it in this current cycle right now? Would it be in the next cycle coming up after this? Where do you see the teams start to see those recruiting benefits from having success on the field like Illinois is doing now? It's usually pretty quick. Um, I think it, because it, it confirms a couple things, right? It confirms, hey, this is what this program might be going forward, right? We saw it last year with a program like Baylor, for instance. Hey, you're going to win on defense. You're going to win in the trenches. So you see the, the recruiting at those positions kind of bubble up all at once. And I think this year, Illinois is one of those schools that feels similar. So defensive recruits in, in general are going to start to jump in a little bit more because now not only do you have this uh, increased perception, but now stability, which is again becoming the most the, the most talked about portion of recruiting. How stable is this school that I'm looking at? Now all of that feels a lot better uh, with with Brett Bielema on top of it. So it really is twofold in that regard. So you you see relatively immediate returns there, um, and then it increases you the next cycle. Your ceiling goes up a little bit, right? So now you can contend a little bit more for, for the best in the Midwest, you know, that, that Ohio state, Notre Dame, Michigan level that you're normally way under, you're a little bit closer to that. Uh, probably still some room to go to get all the way there, but you feel like you have a better shot for those big name blue chip type recruits 
in the region uh, when your perception bubbles up like this and it feels like it's got some staying power on top of it. One more name before we let you go, John. You mentioned the teams that are at the top. A four-star, not quite the same for Ohio State as everyone else in the Big Ten, but they got one in the 2024 class. The name's Ian Moore. It's not, again, the biggest of Ohio State recruits, but where is this guy at and how does he, st how does he stack up uh, with the players around him? Well, this 24 class is going to be, you know, loaded for Ohio State. We could probably say that every year, uh, but offensively in particular, when, once you get Dylan Rayola on board, top quarterback, maybe top player in the class for next year, you expect more momentum on the offensive side of the ball. So staying in the region, you grab Ian Moore, big, physical, Indiana native, 6'6", 300 pounds already as a high school junior, just kind of absurd to look at these at these numbers here and, and you watch the tape and, and man there's a lot to like uh there's a, a very high floor here because we mentioned the size he moves relatively well for that size very wide stance low leverage player given that height um and that offense that they run at new palestine and in indiana it's pretty modern it's a spread they run it a ton they pass it a ton they move him around a lot so this isn't a big physical kid that's just leaning on guys on friday nights because he's just that much bigger He's moving to the second level. He's getting out on screens, and he's also pass protecting. A lot of things that we don't always see with offensive linemen uh, th at this stage of their development. So that kind of um, balanced background, throw on the weight and, and the frame on top of it, and this just feels like a high-floor prospect. He plays right tackle right now, probably can play inside at the next level if you needed him to. But again, that pass blocking and spread offense experience really screams uh, like it's a great fit, great fit and a high floor deal for the Ohio State Buckeyes. So again, you can't have enough linemen. I think, you know, you try to bring in four or five every year. Uh, so it's, it's always a good time to get going in that regard. So like you said, not the splashiest recruit that Ohio State will bring in, but um, truly, you know, inside out foundation of, of what makes the Big Ten so good, you, you've got to hit these marks as well. So it's big still to go into Indiana and do it, uh, you know, with Notre Dame and Purdue and, and other schools in the area. John Garcia Jr. has an eye on recruiting over at Sports Illustrated. We thank LinkedIn Jobs for helping us get him you here today. And thanks again, John, for taking some time to talk to us to talk a little bit of Big Ten recruiting here in the middle of the season. Always a pleasure, Nate. Thanks for having me. Thank you, as always, to John for joining us here on the program for a moment. Going to wrap things up with other Big Ten news in a second. But first, Sweatblock is the product if you just want to make sure and not have to worry about your sweat throughout the day. It's still the summer months somewhere, but not really in the Big Ten country, I know. But still, even when you're putting on that winter jacket for the day, you can be sweating under there if you're wearing it for a long time, headed to work or school or wherever it is that you're going. If maybe you're just trying on a new shirt, you're not sure how it takes the sweat, you can take a sweat block wipe with you, put it in your pocket, put it in your purse, put it anywhere, and just have that assurance that even if it is just kind of a sweaty day for you, you can use the sweat block wipes to make sure that it's not a problem as you go throughout your day. Head on over to sweatblock.com and use our promo code LOCKED ON to get 20% off and see what I'm telling you about. Sweatblock, it really does work. You just take a wipe with you, nice and easy, wherever you want to put it. And then if you start getting sweaty throughout the day, you don't have to be embarrassed. You don't have to worry about it. You don't have to keep checking. Just use the wipe and then get on with your life. Head on over again to sweatblock.com with the code LOCKEDON for 20% off. 
All right, we've got Big Ten news to get to before we end the show quickly. Just a couple of things to tell you about in news. News broke yesterday. Ryan Day said that he was fined a few years ago for not going to an ESPN Awards show while he was recruiting C.J. Stroud. Said that in media availability, I believe it was, at Ohio State. Ended up later on saying that it was worth the fine, being able to recruit and then get C.J. Stroud. Just some fun news out of the Big Ten. Watch lists are coming out for college basketball. Watch list for the Jerry West Award for the top shooting guard. Only Big Ten player on it, Terrence Shannon Jr. of Illinois. The Bob Cousy Award for best point guard in college basketball. Not a single Big Ten player on it. Some more representation, though, in the Julius Irving Award watch list for top small forward. Minnesota's Jameson Battle, Rutgers' Caleb McConnell, and Wisconsin's Tyler Wall all make that list, or watch list at least. Uh, We did have one commitment in basketball to tell you about outside of what we talked about with John. Three-star commit in the 2024 class. Jack Robeson has committed to Wisconsin. AP All-American teams were released a few few days ago. Indiana's Trace Jackson Davis has made that team for a second straight season. Maryland is getting votes in the AP poll in football, eight of them to be exact. That would put the Terrapins at number 30 in the poll if it went beyond 25. Other movement was Maryland, or I'm sorry, I mentioned Maryland, up to 30. Penn State goes to number 13. Illinois is at number 17. Michigan and Ohio State stay put. Buckeyes are two. Michigan is four. On today's Big Ten schedule, a couple of big matchups, top five matchups in Olympic sports in field hockey. Number five, Virginia, a non-conference matchup, is traveling to play against number two Maryland Terrapins will be hosting that matchup in field hockey and a big one in Big Ten volleyball number one Nebraska on the road at number four Wisconsin that one is on Big Ten Network tonight at 9 p.m. if you want to watch it that's all for Big Ten news here on Locked On Big Ten today we'll be back tomorrow starting to preview the weekend big big games to talk about Ohio State Penn State Michigan Michigan State rivalries Top 25 matchups. It's going to be a fun weekend of Big Ten football. I'm excited to preview it here with you over the next couple of days. Until that time here tomorrow, I'm Nate Dickinson with Locked On Big Ten. Follow the show and listen wherever you get your podcasts on YouTube and on Twitter. It's Locked On Big Ten. That's one zero, not T-E-N at the end. I'm Nate Dickinson or at Nate with sports on Twitter. Until tomorrow, this has been Locked On Big Ten.